Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. This is our second episode in the Road to CIM series. Two of two, I should say. We're going to be doing a ton of episodes after the race. Cannot wait to do that. That is for sure. Today, the episode is with Tamara Torlikson. So Tamara is the head. She's the president of the SRA board. The SRA is the Sacramento Running Association, and they actually put on the California International Marathon, a bunch of other races as well. And this and that, she was on the board for 12 years, and she's a 257 marathoner who has run this race a number of times. And she was the perfect person to talk about race course management, race course strategy, a strategy for the morning of the race in terms of getting to the start line, managing the start line, and just overall what to do in Sacramento before and after the race. There's no better person than Tamara to talk to. And I am so glad that she came on this episode to do just that. Before we get into it, though, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Ola Dance. Ola Dance is my favorite headphones. They have the open ear design. It's not bone conduction. It's open ear, which means you can still hear everything around you. And yet at the same time, get crystal quality sound. They have their Black Friday sale. It's going on right now. Everything at OlaDance.com. All their OWS headphones, I should say, are on sale 25% off at OlaDance.com. That is the OWS Pro, which has the stylish and adaptable for like workouts and the daily grind. I'm actually wearing them right now. The OWS 2 for the extended battery life, which is a key thing, especially if you're going to do ultras and some of the long running stuff. The OS1s, which are a little bit more budget friendly. So many great options. Go to OlaDance.com forward slash rambling today. If you use code, not, not code rambling, if you go to OlaDance.com rambling, also helps out the podcast. They know that you heard about it from us over here at the Rambling Runner podcast, which is great. Just so you know, when you do hear a, sponsor, a sponsor's ad like this, helping out the podcast is going right to that website and going to that link. It helps us out so much. You'll see a link in the show notes, but that is enough of that. Let's get right to my podcast with Tamara. All right. I am so excited to have Tamara here. Thank you, Tamara, for hopping on the show for Road to CIM. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Me too. You actually remember my last time at CIM. I remember watching you run. I was cheering you on near the finish line. It was really excited. Really exciting. You are someone who is very well ingrained with this race as the president of the SRA and also someone who's run this race now six different times. I couldn't think of a better person to kind of run through the race day logistics, the morning of, you know, race course strategy. And we'll also finish up just like what to do in the weekend in Sacramento. Cause we all know like, Hey, you want to make sure that you have all your stuff ready the night before and all the food. And then especially a little post-race celebration. So we'll touch on sort of the, the weekend amenities after the fact. That's for sure. I guess before we get dive into race day morning and logistics surrounding getting to the starting line of a point to point course, how did you first get involved with, with, with CIM is it something as that you wanted to be personally involved with kind of the, the the race and just the organization that puts it on? Yeah, that's a great question. So I came to Sacramento in 2008 after I graduated college. I started running with local run clubs, the Fleet Feet group, and just started getting more involved in the running community. And then a sort of mutual connection put me in touch with Scott Abbott, who is the executive director of SRA. And we met in 2015 and asked me, he asked me to join the board. Um, It's a wonderful group of people. We've added 
uh, a handful more board members since I joined in 2015. We have an amazing amount of experience on the SRA board. We have uh, two folks who have run every single CIM. They're known as streakers. Um, so talking to them about the first CIM is amazing, how the idea came together. This is our 40th year. So it's been really fun to see CIM grow. And as you know, the social media sphere of uh, running has grown, it's really cool to hear how CIM is talked about on podcasts, on Instagram, with Olympic trials qualifiers. Um, so that is a really proud thing for all of us at CIM and SRA to hear how the race is talked about in such a positive way. For sure. I mean, at this point, it's kind of like a mini major in, yeah. in the United States. Yes. People love it. It's fast times, good weather, uh, really well organized. So we're excited to welcome people here in just a couple of weeks. Right. And this episode is going to be about race day for everybody. Right. This is it would, I recorded a podcast a couple of weeks ago that went out about 10 days ago um, that was focused on the OTQ groups and what to expect in those groups. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, took uh, some valuable information from that. I think it's probably entertain entertainment for, for most people like me. Like I'm never going to be running in any of those groups, <laughs> but hopefully, you know, it was entertaining and informative. This is kind of for everybody. That is for sure. So let's just talk about race day morning, because. I think this is one of the things with a point-to-point -point race. This isn't one of those typical races that many people have done where, hey, you park where the start slash finish line is. Like, you wouldn't want to do that at CIM. So, right. you know, what, what are some of the things that people should know, especially if we just assume that people who are running the race are staying, again, not like local Sacramento people might have probably have a different situation, but yeah. for the people who are say coming to visit the race, say someone like me and they're staying somewhat near the finish line area. What is the, the, the finish line, uh, sorry, the, the race day morning experience like pre-race. Yes. Yeah, so we have a whole transportation system of buses from downtown Sacramento near the convention center, um, which is where you'll have gotten your packet on Friday or Saturday. So you'll line up there. The specific addresses and times are all listed on the website. I would definitely go there. Um, and those buses will take you from downtown Sacramento to Folsom, the start line. It's about on a bus. It's probably like a 40 minute um, drive. You'll be on the freeway. And I would encourage you to line up there early um, if you're coming from downtown, there also are other points. There's a whole set of hotels in this area called Point West, where we also have bus transportation going. So just read that over on the website and you don't have to pick in advance which one you'll be using. There is a survey that helps us know how many buses to have at each location, um, but there is no specific ticket. Your bib number is your ticket to get on the bus. And when the buses arrive in Folsom, which is where the start of the race is, you can actually stay on the bus or get off to use the bathroom and then go back on to stay warm. And then I'll just- Yeah, I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to stop you yeah. there because these are some great points. All right. Because first of all, I know some people, even last year, even like I had talked to people like, hey, you should make sure you get on the buses. Like they're coach buses. They're super comfortable. I still know people who were trying to Uber to the starting line. It's like, you've already, you paid for these buses with your race entry. <laughs> like you've already paid for them and they're 
they're like super convenient. Like they're more convenient than the Ubers. You know where they're going to be. I would just tell people like, hey, if Ubering around is like your default to do, I would still go to the buses. Like, first of all, there's just not many Ubers around at 4 a.m. Like, uh-uh. this, this is just not going to be the case. And the people who did try to do it, because there's not many around, like, there was, like, s- severe congestion. I know people woke up, like, they tried to book their Uber as soon as they woke up, thinking, like, all right, they will be here in an hour. And, like, they weren't. No. Yeah. That, yeah, just take the bus. Um, if if you do have someone with a rental car in your group, there is a runner drop-off near the start, which is what a lot of locals do. But that would be hard to explain to an Uber driver because it's an intersection. And, you know, Uber drivers, they don't they don't know where CIM starts. Um, but that is an option. It's called runner drop off near the start. That's what I always do. I get dropped off there about 6 a.m. The race starts at 7. But again, it's not it's not taking you directly to the start line. There's still about a five minute bus drive there and there's no spectators allowed at the start line. Um, just because it is in this kind of remote location. So yes, take the bus, um, figure out your plan in advance, set your alarm, know what time you want to get there, give yourself plenty of time. Yeah, for sure. And I would say what you mentioned, but like staying on the bus to stay warm, that was a huge thing. Because I think there, first of all, and I talked about it on this podcast many times, like you're never going to find a row of porta potties longer than the one at the start line at CIM. Like you're, you, you might do a, a running warm up. Just the end of the porta potties and back, it might be too long of a warm up. Like it might be too many miles for yeah. for your race day. But like say, getting off the bus, you and what you got to do, and that thing, you don't have, don't expect to get on the same bus that you use to get to the race course because first of all, they all look the same. So good right. luck finding the one that you drove in on. Secondly, they could be moved around. So I would tell people like, hey, if you get off the bus to go to the bathroom or there's a convenience store over there that some people pop into like, like a, like a Cumberland farms kind of thing or Wawa the um, make sure you take all your stuff with you. Cause it can be tricky to get back to find the bus that you were on originally, right. which, so if you take everything with you, you can just get back on any bus and stay warm. But I would say, cause I did find some people who were kind of getting nervous cause they were having trouble locating the bus that they got off. Okay. That is a really good tip. And also on that, just remember there is no gear drop at the start line. Um, So you are in throwaway clothes, whatever you bring, you know, you can bring this CIM jacket from last year or from another race. Um, What you bring with you in the bus is either going down the race course with you or um, we do donate the clothes to charity. Um, And if you want things at the finish line, you need to drop those off at the expo or at the convention center the morning of the race. So there's no gear check at the start line. Right. So I love that. I love that because I had never seen that because I haven't done races like this, the point to point of like having a gear bag at the finish line. Like I had never seen that before, but that's super convenient, especially for people who like don't want to go back to the hotel or who may have already checked out of the hotel. Right. Sometimes like the checkout is say it's at 11 o'clock. Like you might not be done at 11 o'clock. I know right. that was for me. Like when I ran the race, I like didn't, I couldn't stop running at the finish line. I had to like hang a left and then run to my hotel because there was no late checkout and I had to get there before they build me for the next day. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. And there'll be a nice like jacket to wear that, not a real jacket, but this kind of thin material jacket at the finish line. Um, there's food, soup, beer, all those kind of things. So you'll be well taken care of um, logistically. 
Yeah, for sure. I, so I would tell people like, hey, if you're worried, say it's going to be a colder morning. I mean, we don't know yet because we're recording this on November 17th. But assuming it's going to be cold in the morning, because it usually is at that time of day, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're probably going to want to bring something like you said, some throwaway gear. But staying on the bus to stay warm is the way to go. Don't be yeah. nervous. Don't be nervous like, oh, I want to get out there and be amongst the people. Like, you're going to regret that if you start getting cold. Like, stay on the bus as long as you can. Yes, for sure. For sure. Okay. So when people start lining up, I know that they're obviously people who are running CIM, they have run races before. They know how to line up and things like that. I think with these races, especially with pacers, finding you know your general pace group, roughly how, how you're going to run. I what what how do you approach people about how to deal with the first two miles of CIM? Because it might be the most dramatically downhill part of the course. And you intermix that with just like the the natural surge of emotions that come with race, like a race start and everyone gets so excited and things like that. Yes, I have my splits up from um, 2021 and I can see the first mile is um, minus 85 feet of elevation. And so that was about um, 15 seconds faster than my race pace. I always try to generally speaking, I tell my mind to run even splits. But knowing that on a course like CIM, it's going to fluctuate, but you can't, you can't freak out about it. If you look down and see something 15 to 20 seconds faster, you will settle in after the first few miles. Um, but that for the first five miles is a lot of uh, downhill. So just take it easy you know, talk to some people next to you. I always like to do that a little bit at the the beginning to get the nerves out, ask where they're from, uh, that kind of thing. So, but it, it does start off pretty fast and there's a lot of energy at the start line. Um, so it's really exciting for sure. Yeah, it really is exciting. And I think that when you have races with a ton of people, right? Not just like your local 5K. I think that especially early on in a race, you can have this urge to like find your place, right? Even if it's not like this explicit urge, but like you'll see someone who's ahead of you, who's like maybe going a little bit slower than you want to run. Not a lot, just even a little bit. And the urge to like pass and move ahead of them, right? right. Can be an overwhelm overwhelming feeling, but can be kind of ever present early on in these races. And I would say, especially if you're in a, this downhill course, like you don't need to do that. You can just, the, the road is wide open. You yeah. can just cruise. Like, again, I, I always tell people all the time, I used to call a phone call with an athlete I coach right before this of like getting going faster, for like five seconds per mile for the first 10 miles of a court of a race. It might not seem like much in the beginning, but like you can hemorrhage time late in a race. Like you yeah. could be losing. You might have saved 100 second, 100 uh, seconds or so early yeah. in a race. You might be giving back 100 seconds per mile late in a race if right. you go too quickly so i would say like especially you're feeling good at a race and you're gonna be running downhill so of course you're gonna be feeling good right running downhill yeah. feels fantastic just yeah. chill early in this race because it can be so easy to juice the pace yes definitely and you start kind of getting into these rollers in you know mile six seven eight and by mile 10 you come into this it's Old Town Fair Oaks. There's like chickens running around the road. Um, that's a really nice kind of checkpoint, I feel. Mile 10, you you drop in there. There's a ton of spectators, music. 
and it's been rolling and there still will be rolling hills through there, but I would definitely just check yourself those first 10 miles. Don't get too carried away. Um, and then, you know, after about halfway, things kind of start to settle out um, and they become really smooth and fairly flat. Yeah. Four through 10 is a net even, mm-hmm. you know, um, elevation, right? So I think one thing that we talked about before we hopped on the call is the this misconception that CIM is a linear downhill race. Right. Almost like something you'd see at some of the revel races, but just less dramatic. Right. The revel race. If you look at someone's Strava, it's like almost like a perfectly straight angled line. Right. And people just assume CIM is kind of like that, but maybe just less of an angle. Right. And it just isn't. Right. So I think like you mentioned early on in the race, especially the first four miles, the first mile and then like two through four is also another dramatic downhill. And then four through ten, it can be there's rollers, but it's a net zero in terms of incline. So I think people have to kind of understand where some of the peaks and valleys are. Can can you speak a little bit to, and it doesn't have to be specifically about that four through 10 section. It can be more generally, or maybe there's parts of the course that you really want to highlight of that. This race course is like, there are definitely uphill sections. Mm-hmm. And I think that I remember when I was running it, being next to a whole bunch of people were like, oh my gosh, another uphill. Like they couldn't believe it. Like they, they, they thought this was going to be either flat or downhill the whole way. And they were aghast. Again, I thought it was like a significant, but sometimes our mind can play tricks on us if we're expecting a certain thing and then that thing doesn't come to fruition. Right, right. But I will say for every up, there is a down. And so it kind of evens itself out. And in a way, it helps your legs because you're changing your muscles um, when you're going up and down. So I would just say, don't stress yourself out. I will say when you're having a really, when you're having a, one of those great days, you don't feel the hills as much. And then of course, when you're having a not so great day, that is when every hill feels really bad. But nothing in here is as hard as the Boston Hills at all. Like nothing like heartbreak, um, not even really the Newton Hills. I think our rolling hills are less. Um And then really your final hill is around 21, 22. You kind of go over this bridge. And then by then you're dropping into East Sacramento and the streets start um, counting down. I think you finish around 7th Street and you start, I guess you start in the 40s. So you can either use that as a little mind game or try and ignore it because you can watch the streets counting down. It's like 40, 39. You're like, oh my gosh, I have to get all the way to 7th Street. But um yeah, I would just go with it. This is a course you can negative split on. I have negative split here a few times um, because you'll pass halfway. There is a relay for folks who don't know. It's a two-person relay. It's not quite evenly split, but around halfway, you'll see the relay exchange. So that's kind of a fun distraction. People will exchange their you know, handoff. And then after halfway, you're on Fair Oaks Boulevard and you are going straight, um, gosh, until a really long time. You don't turn basically mile 13 until mile, I guess like 23, you really don't turn again. So you can just turn it on, settle into your pace. Um, there's spectators along the way. It's just like a nice straightaway. 
Um, and then when you finally do have to make that left turn, when you're getting towards downtown, your your legs are kind of like, whoa, I have to turn now after running straight for so long. But I would just use that time to zone out and settle into your pace. All right, folks, want to take a quick break to talk about Janji. Fall is here. And what I love about Janji, it's one of the many things I love. I love their pants. I've talked about their pants so often. I've had them for years and they still feel like I just got them. I'm actually wearing a pair right now. I'm wearing the tech pants right now. They're fantastic. What I want to talk about right now is about their lightweight jackets. These things are fantastic. I love lightweight jackets because they're great for like the 30 degree temperature range, right? Whether it's sunny or cloudy, right in that zone, you get like a, like a long sleeve tee and a light jacket. You warm up into the workout and you're that perfect temperature the whole time. This is why I love Janji. They're fantastic. Go to Janji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com and use code Rambling. Save 15% on your order today. Also, five-year guarantee on all the products. And they have an amazing sales page. So if you want to, you're a little bit more budget-friendly, you want to get something on the cheap, you can use my code. Save 15% on the sales page. And they got a lot of good stuff on there, too. So let's get back to my podcast with Tamara. Yeah, I completely agree. And I love the what you mentioned before about like the whatever comes up comes down. And how mm -hmm. I like to explain to people is that like this course feels like two steps up, three steps down mm -hmm. in terms of like the, the, the up and down nature of it. Again, we're starting at roughly 330 feet of elevation gain and going down to about 50. So even the downhill nature of it, it's not a significant downhill, right? It's just a slight downhill, right? Where most of the course is going to feel flat. Like the overwhelming majority of the course, you're going to feel like it's flat. Like even if you just look at the elevation profile, like the last half marathon, it's a, it's down like 100 to 120 feet mm -hmm. overall in terms of like total elevation down. Again, it's a little bit more than that because you go up a little bit, then down a little bit. But in terms of like, if you look at where you are at 13.1 miles and just like put a pin in a map, the elevation is like 150 feet at that spot. And the finish line, it's around 50 feet or so. So um, most, of the, most of the race is going to feel flat. Mm -hmm. With that said, there are going to be some uphills. Um, and the, the one that I remember, I think one of the more steep ones is right, is like right before the halfway. I think yeah. like you take that, like that yeah. hard left turn, like that city yeah. center, and then you go up right before the half marathon point. Yes, that, that is a significant um, hill, but you kind of get it over with and you just know that the flat part is coming. So that's how I would handle that part of the race. Yeah. And I think you bring up a great point about like the, the straight, the straight line of it all in the second half of the race. And I think that for, for a lot of people, that's when tucking into a pace group can be really beneficial. I'm like, okay, I can completely zone out here, right? Like sometimes pace groups can get a little weird early in races. They might go out a little too fast or it's so crowded. How do you, you know, how, how quickly do they get up to pace? Things can just be tricky for pacers early in a race, but especially at that point, like they're going to be so dialed in at that point. If you see a pace group around you, like I would say, like, just dive into one because just the, the, the group effect can just take charge there and you can just completely zone out. You're just going to be going straight anyway and just tuck right in. Right. And that is the, in 2021, I, um, ended up running a 257 and I was, I didn't know it, but I was actually behind the three hour pace group. Um, I just didn't find them at the start and I wasn't, that wasn't really part of my plan to run with them. I didn't know what to expect, but then I found them after halfway on the straight 
I came up to this big group and I realized it was the three hour pace group and it ended up being perfect timing. Um, and I was also glad to have found them there because then that whole straight part I tucked in, um, I personally carry my own water, so I don't have to deal with the water stops because I will say the three hour pace group, and I'm assuming many of the others, it's, it is, um, pretty wild <laughs> to get the water cups. I mean, the, this, the stops, they do a great job. They have tons of volunteers, but it is certainly um, dicey to get your water. So that's why I like to carry my own. And I stayed with that three-hour pace group, um, that whole straightaway on Fair Oaks Boulevard. And then I left them at the Sacramento. There's a bridge close to Sacramento State, which is mile um, 22. And the three-hour pacer, he told me, he was like, you look good. You need to just go. And so I left them through ESAC and I just never looked back. Um, but I was thankful for probably my six or seven miles with that pace group. Um, but it was really crowded for sure. All right. Quick aside. Has anything felt better in a marathon to have like the sub three hour pace leader, like say, Hey, you're, you're looking great, man. Just go ahead. Like that must've felt so awesome. It was so great. He, he's a, a local guy, um, who I, I know a little bit. And so that felt really good. And I was like, okay, if he said that I'm going to listen to him. And I just like focused down. Um, and I thanked him at the end. I went and found him later and the pacers are great years back when I ran with a 310 pace group and I ended up with the 308 the same thing happened they told me at mile 10 they were like you look like you're running too this is too relaxed for you you need to go for it and same thing I thanked them at the end so the pacers are really helpful but you don't necessarily need to run with them every step of the way Yes, yes. And I think and they're great people too. The pacers you guys get. Like I remember yeah. sometimes I've seen like Tim Tweetmeyer pacing. Like this guy's one of like like ultra running hall of fame. He's like doing like one of the pace groups at CIM. It's like this august group of people, which is always really exciting. That's for sure. All right. So let's talk about some of the things that people hear about. Just like the lore of the race is like the bridge at mile twenty two. Can you can you set up the differentiation between what it's like to run on that bridge if like you're just doing a normal like six to eight mile run and you just happen to run across it and versus yeah. how it feels to go across it at mile 22 of the marathon? Yes. And I run over and drive over that bridge quite a lot. So I'm used to it. Um, but it just looks a little bit looming because you've been running straight and you see it's a beautiful bridge. Um, it's now named after a local fallen uh, police officer. So it's in her honor up there, which is really nice. And, but yeah, you see it coming and you're just like, oh my gosh, there's this bridge, but you just got to get over it. There's usually a ton of uh, cheerleader folks at the top, get past it. And then there are no more hills after that bridge, which is right around 22, I think. All right. Let me ask you this. When you're running a normal easy run, mm -hmm. do you view it as a hill? Because I remember getting there and being oh. like, I'm not sure this is a hill. Like, I'm not... oh, okay, yes. Yeah. No. I was dying. Remember, I was dying at that point. Like, I was basically run walking at that point in the race. I was, like, completely unprepared. But they gave me a free entry. So I'm like, hey, I want to run the course anyway. This will yeah. be fun. So, like, I knew I wasn't going to have a good final 10K. So that was yeah. baked into my experience. So I remember getting to this, that, the bridge and being like, oh, this is it? Yeah. But, again, I wasn't oh, running at the okay. time. So it was different for me. You're right. It is. If you were on an easy run, it would not really be a hill. But because you're at mile 22, if you're at all fatigued or getting in your head about where you're at, it's going to feel hard. But you just need to remember it'll be over quickly. And then there's no more 
after yeah, that. It's more like an overpass. Yes. It's not like a bridge. It's not like, all right, I'm going from like once I'm like crossing the Hudson River here. No, yeah, you're crossing the American River. It's not that wide. Like, you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the countdown of the streets. Because okay. this is something that I think for certain people can be really helpful. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially if they don't really want to look at their watch. They just want to kind of like zone into the surroundings of the course. Other people I can imagine like not wanting to see this countdown. It's kind of like watching water boil. Like it feels like it will take forever if you just stare at the pot. So talk to right. me about like the, you know, you've already kind of intimated what this is, but like, you know, where it starts the countdown, where it finishes and, you know, just, just the Nate, just the, I guess the urban planning of Sacramento and how these streets kind of line up. Yeah, so all of downtown Sacramento is on a grid starting with First Street and then the other way goes, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And so that is for sure all of downtown is like that. But then even in East Sacramento, which is a beautiful part of Sacramento, the the numbered streets continue. So you'll pop over that bridge, you'll pass uh, California State University, Sacramento, um, a great college on your left side, and then you'll get into the neighborhood of East Sacramento. There are usually bars that have opened up early. You know, nothing like in New York or Boston, like people aren't raging super hard, but there are people who are standing out front of bars, having Bloody Marys. Yeah, it's more like uh, the Richmond Marathon. If you've been to Richmond, okay. it feels a lot like that. Yeah, it's it's small town, but like a lot of people are out. They love it. And so you'll kind of start to feel that neighborhood vibe and you'll start seeing streets in, I believe, the 40s and every block it'll count you down. And I take it as like kind of a nice thing to look at. It's a nice countdown distraction. There's a couple, you know, fluid stations through that East Sac stretch. Uh, you'll pass a couple um, hospitals along your way. We have a lot of great hospital systems in Sacramento. And then finally, you'll make this left turn on Alhambra and you'll pass by Sutter Hospital and then the numbers will continue. So now you're at like 29th Street and uh, you'll pass Sutter's Fort, another historic landmark where people came when the gold rush was happening. Um, and then you're almost there. You're getting you're in the 20s. Then you're in the teens. You start to see the tall buildings. Um and yeah, I would just use it as a countdown, something to look forward to. Now, do you have a uh, a landmark where you kind of view as like, okay, this is like finishing kick territory. Again, finishing yeah. kick being a relative term because this is a marathon, this isn't a 5K. But is there a certain spot that you like to think of like, okay, this is where I started turning the jets or are you more watch focused when it, that sort of thing happens? Yeah, so the year I, I had a really good race with the negative split, um, I see my mile... 25 and 26 were actually some of my fastest miles. And so that would be you kind of cross under a hospital called Sutter, um, which is again by Sutter's Fort. And that is, you know, about two miles. So if you're feeling good, I would start pushing it there. Um, you'll come to an aid station, I believe at mile 24. 24, 25, um, the Sloppy Moose Run Club, which is a great um, kind of run club that meets at local breweries. They have such a fun aid station. They're all in orange. They will really hype you up to get you through that last mile. And you should know that you will pass the Capitol building on your left-hand side, and you're going to 
because I think people think, oh, it finishes at the Capitol, but you you have to completely run by the Capitol and make a left turn uh, to your finish. So when you start seeing the Capitol, two lefts, left, right? Because you're basically doing a U-turn, yes. like taking a left and then another quick left. Yes, exactly. And so when you start seeing the Capitol, I mean, if you have anything left, you really might as well just turn it on and leave it all out there because you're you're almost there at that point. Yeah. And that's also when the crowd is super heavy, because for the crowd, it's like the Capitol is the finish line. But you can actually it's great. So you can basically just watch people come in and they're like, what's roughly like a third of a mile? Like when you pass like the Capitol and then you have to like kind of like go like a quick, almost like was it like 200 meters past then? Then you take the left and then the, the quick left and then you come back. So like for the for the crowds, like that's where it's super heavy because you can really watch people come through and spot like if it's a family member. This is a great place to stand because you can see them coming down the street, locate them, hey, clap them in. And then you just have to walk like 30 yards yeah. to the finish line, which is like right behind you. Yes, I always have my um, dad and his wife. They'll usually stand at 10th and L or right around there so that they I don't really think lining up to watch the finish for your loved one. I mean, you can do that if that's what you prefer, but I would rather have them out on L Street where they can really see you and they can make eye contact with you and help you through those last few meters. And L Street's the street that you're running on, to be to be yes. clear. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so L Street's the final street you're running on and you're going to be turning left off that street. So I would have them your loved ones be around 10th and L or 11th and L. And then, you know, they know that you're going to turn and finish and then they can walk over and find you. In the right. and if people are looking at a map. L street is the street that is on the North side of the Capitol Plaza. So if you're looking yeah. at the Capitol on the, on a map, the, the top border of that Capitol Plaza is L street. Yes. And I do want to flag a couple changes for the finish area uh, for folks who have done it before. So there's a pretty massive uh, renovation and construction going on on the Capitol grounds. It was it was happening last year, but it's even more extensive now. The Capitol still looks beautiful. Don't worry, you'll get the picture with the dome and everything. But one thing that if you've run this before, we have two finish lines purely because there is a center divide that you with grass that you can't run on. So with the amount of people we have at CIM, we typically split it into two. And you can finish at either one. It doesn't matter that the distances are the same. Uh, but this year, due to construction, only the elite runners like OTQ and under will finish on the left-hand side, which people may previously remember as the women's side or side A. But then once the OTQ group goes through, so maybe around 240, um, they'll switch over and all finishers will finish on the far side, on the right-hand side, which in the past has been the men's side or side B. Um, so let your spectators know that. You as the runner won't notice anything. They're just – people will be pointing you through. Um, but I wouldn't want your loved ones to be lined up on the wrong side. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So there's not going to be anyone making any decisions as a runner. Like you're just going to yeah. you're going to go to the opening and they're just yeah. going to like let you go. Um, yeah. yeah. For a spectator. Yeah. If you're if your family member is about to get an OTQ and you go to the wrong finish line to take a picture, like yeah. not great. <laughs> right. Yes. And if you're going to spectate, I will say 
watching the OTQ finish is going to give you goosebumps for sure. You're going to be looking for those people getting under those qualifying times. So I would line up there if you are just spectating. Um, I'm sure we're going to get some great pictures and video of. I can't wait. This is what I'm, this is like, this is part of the reason I'm going. Cause this was like the only year I basically have gone every year for like five years in a row, except for that year. I couldn't make it that year because I thought I had to have ankle surgery that was scheduled for that weekend. So yeah. I was like, Oh no, I'm going to miss it. But that was the year I didn't go. And I'm like shooting. I'm like, you know, I can't believe it. I, I, you know, cause it was obviously the biggest thing ever um, from an OTQ perspective. So I can't wait. I'm going to like, I'm going to post up there super early to get a, yeah. get a good spot. You should. And we have, um, and at least in 2020, we had the highest rate of Olympic trials qualifiers at CIM and this is the absolute last chance to get into the Orlando Olympic trials. So we know it's going to be intense up there. Um, and I can't wait to see, um, the video recaps of like the tears and just, you know, all the emotions will be running very high. No question about it. All right. Now let's just talk about the weekend. People are going to be there, be in town, especially people who aren't local to Sacramento who are going to know like, Hey, like, where do I, where do I go to like get some food? Is there any good spots ahead of time or like centrally located areas to, to, to get the kind of grub that I'm looking for, especially post-race, right? You want to probably take it easy on the pre-race grub, make sure you're eating stuff that agrees with you post-race. You guess you can let it all hang out at that point. Um, so there are certain places that you are particularly fond of or that you want to point out to the people? Yeah, uh, I would highlight that Sacramento is the farm to fork capital of, I actually don't know if it's the capital of America or California, but either way, we are known for farm to fork. The universe. We'll just I, yeah, say the universe. Yeah, because we are so close to the Central Valley. And even in the Sacramento Valley, there are tons of amazing produce, you know, the fruit and vegetables that we eat here are so close to us and so fresh. So we do have really good food in Sacramento. Um, you could look at the Visit Sacramento website for options, but I did put some together. I mean, before the race, there is an old spaghetti factory in, do they have those on the East Coast? Old spaghetti factory? No, not, not near me, at least. Okay. It's a chain, but it's, I would definitely recommend that for before a race. I think they take reservations. There's one in Midtown. There's one in the Arden area. And then also for pasta in downtown Sacramento, there's Paisano's, Il Forneo, and Oboe. And then I would say for afterwards, there's uh, this place called Cafeteria. I'll, say, I'll, I'll stop you there. Il Forneo yeah. was fantastic. I went okay. there once. I will say, because there's so many people going to be in town, I, if I were somebody, I would make reservations at some yeah. of these places. Even if it's like a casual eatery, if they take reservations, try to set them up because there's so many people coming into town and you're yeah. going to want to have a good dinner. Um, even if it's like a super casual, you don't want to spend a lot of money, but you're going to want to have food that agrees with you. So make sure if it's a place that takes reservations, try to line that up because there's going to be a lot of people bumping around at five o'clock the night before the race who are going to be looking to eat. Yes, definitely. And there's not really any grocery stores right in the downtown area that are walkable where you could pick up like, you know, when I, I just did Indy and I walked to a Whole Foods and I got a big thing of rice, but we don't really have anything like that in downtown Sacramento. Um, you can, of course, do DoorDash. That's what I did in Indy. I just did noodles and co like plain noodles because I don't like I don't like to eat anything too crazy the night before a race. 
But yes, plan ahead, plan early. Uh, certainly see if you're staying at like the Sheraton or the Kimpton or the Citizen, they all have, you know, great dining there. So I would check their menu to see if they have pasta or whatever agrees with you the night before the race. Um, and then I can tell you about pizza too. If you guys like pizza, there is a great place called Zelda's or Anonimo. And I can all email these to Matt as well. And then we have a ton of great breweries in Sacramento. Um, Bike Dog is a great brewery, and that is next to a restaurant called Selens, which is super easy. You can order at the counter, which I always like for a group because um, then you can just pay for your own things and go sit down. So I would definitely check out the brewery scene. And um, yeah, there's great dining. You won't go wrong with anything in downtown Sacramento. So, but yeah, definitely plan ahead and then afterwards you can enjoy there's also downtown where the king's basketball arena is note that there is a king's basketball game that afternoon around i believe it's at 3 p.m um so downtown is going to be bumping that's really also something that's changed since cim has come a long way our downtown scene is more vibrant with the king's uh, basketball arena being downtown and there's a whole it's called Doco, the downtown commons, ton of great restaurants and dining, people watching, um, this place called yeah, Punchbowl Social. Sure. So I would just, yes, go there and enjoy, but know that it's going to be busy down there on the day of CIM. For sure. And I think there's like a dozen breweries within walking distance of the finish line. Some, some obviously farther than others, but so many good options. So if you're looking for like a post-race beer or like a big fat burger that you can usually get at most breweries, like that, there's going to be a lot of options and they're all really good for sure. So um, that is fantastic. So, all right. Tamara, thank you so much for coming on this show. This was so much fun. Uh, I was again, you're like you are the literal expert on this. So I couldn't have picked a better person to come on the show. This was fantastic. I'll tell people um, we're going to be doing some live shows at CIM. You might have already heard this in the intro, but I figured I'll just you know reiterate it now. Uh, I think it's at one o'clock on Friday, and then on Saturday we have one at nine thirty in the morning, at noon, and at four o'clock. The one at noon is actually going to be part of Relay, so it'll be myself. Kafuzi and Peter Bromka, and maybe even a special guest. We'll see about that. But we're going to put a, put a lot of stuff about those live shows um, between now and race day. Tamara, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, I can't wait to see you at the expo and um, meet some folks there and hear your conversation. So thanks for coming and thanks for supporting CIM. We're excited. It's our 40th year. So that's a really um, big deal. And you guys will love what you get at the finish line. I actually don't know. Oh. Has it been said in an email? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Well, you'll love it. Just I, all finishers will get it. You do have to finish the race. Matt, we'll see if we can get you one, but um, everyone will get a, <laughs> a special item for finishing the 40th CIM. So something fun to look forward to. All right. Fantastic. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this road to the CIM series. I can't wait. We're heading to CIM in two weeks' time. We're going to be doing live shows at the Expo, 1 o'clock on Friday, 9.30, noon, and 4 o'clock on Saturday. We're going to be putting out a lot of in-person interviews as well over the course of the weekend and the week after. I cannot wait for the California International Marathon. Thank you so much for listening. Happy running.